0: I've looked at Romans 8 a lot, but I've never looked at it the way I looked at it this week while getting this ready. And I have to tell you that I've been operating a lot in darkness thinking versus light thinking. Now you might say, what is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Darkness thinking is where you think along the lines of what the world suggests or personal opinion Or public opinion rather than upon the illuminated, revelated light of God. That kind of thinking will destroy your mindsets. It'll set you on a course for destruction of unproductivity for the kingdom. It'll make you think and say all sorts of things that sound reasonable, but are far from the truth. They're cloaked with a shadow of truth, but not the truth. And that darkness thinking, I'm going to share some of those things with you. And I'm going to ask you this morning, which one do you operate in? Darkness thinking or light thinking? And uh, when I do share this with you, I want to share with you also that you can operate in both. It doesn't mean you're stuck in one or stuck in the other. As a matter of fact, the closer you get to God and more the Holy Spirit fills you and you grow in grace with God, the more your thinking changes and your motivation changes to the sense of God's purpose, will, and plan for your life. You become more (laughs) light-headed. If you know what I mean by that. Because we are talking about the light of God during this Christmas season that we're trying to mind and also have in our mind. So I got a question for you. When you hear God say, I give you my son Jesus Christ with all the kingdom and all its benefits as an heir, as a child of my own. What thought comes to your mind? Most of us, I would guess or venture at least in some point of our life have minimized that idea. As an idea, first of all, rather than a truth. The thoughts that we think are I'm not entitled to it. Well, guess what? You're correct, you're not. If you think there are exclusions to that gift and it might mean me, you're correct. I'm not worthy of it. God is so holy, I'm not. If, he just, if you knew who I was and all that I've been, you would agree with me. I'm not worthy of God's gift of His Son. You are correct again. All those things are correct in a sense of the truth, but not in the reality of what God has done. You see, if you start with you, you're going to end up with your mess. And you're going to stay in darkness thinking. But if you start with God, and what God has done and said, you're going to wind up back with God and His truth. If that truth permeates everything you do and say, or that you think, and you allow it to mold and transform you. You see, there's a personal bias in each of those statements, and I'm sure we each have our own that fit in there, and that bias needs corrected. You might say, what do you mean? Well, for example, a person sitting next to you is going to observe God's grace and gifts differently than you will. It's because of your experience of who you are and who you see in the mirror as compared to the person next to you. I used to think like this. God did it for everybody. I hope everybody makes it. If I don't, everybody else does. God, that'll be okay with me. As long as they make it and I don't is the criteria. But God's not using that criteria, is He? He doesn't use my criteria for what He does. Thank you, God, for that. Why? Because it would mean my criteria overruled His. And He doesn't use your criteria either. I will tell you this. Our biases are based in pride, or shame, or guilt. And sometimes they're based in a wrong perception of how good or how bad... We believe we are. That darkness thinking, I'm going to explain to you how it works. When we say things like, I'm not entitled to God's grace. And I'm looking at verse 32 where it says, He who didn't spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall we not with Him also freely give us all things? All things? Well, God, you know, I just I'm not, in, I'm not entitled to that. Well, that's not what he says. He says it's a gift. Nowhere did I ever read that a gift was given out of entitlement. A gift is given on the basis of the giver. The giver's desire for you. At Christmas, are you giving a gift because someone is entitled to receive a gift? Or are you not giving a gift because they're not entitled to receive a gift? I would hope not, because God does not see you as entitled or unentitled. He sees you as someone who needs the gift of His Son as a part of everyone. Not entitled. Not at all. And you're not unentitled. It's not about you and your entitlement at all. Don't start with you. Start with God. He's the giver. It's not based on you. It's based on Him. So get away from yourself if you're thinking like that and begin to focus on why God did it, not if you're worthy or not. Sometimes we say there are exclusions to the gift and we we make lists. I don't know if you're like this or not, but... Here's how we do it, right? Yeah. Alright, God, you said with Jesus you're going to give me all things. I'm praying for healing. Mm-hmm. Praying for financial prosperity. And you're not doing it. There must be exclusions. <laughs> because you're not giving me the things I've asked for. Therefore, there are ex- That's what we say. Because I don't get what I want, God. Therefore, you're not good. <laughs> Is His goodness based on whether you get what you want I don't know about you, but that sounds kind of like a child at Christmas time who's a very, very young age going, I didn't get the bicycle I wanted. You don't love me. You know, when I was uh, about six years old, I got a bicycle for Christmas and I didn't even ask for it. I didn't even know how to ride one at the time. But I got one. And I was excited because I got a gift. It wasn't because I was entitled to the bicycle. I was given the gift. I wasn't given, well, I deserve this because I I don't know how to ride one. I didn't do any of that. I just said, I got a bike. Thank you. But we don't look at it that way. We kind of look at it like Santa. (laughs) I I don't know if you know what I mean by that. We go, God, all right, for this prayer list, I want this, I want this. I'm going to be real good and you do this. I'm going to be good for this. When as a kid, I was like that. Mom, I've been good all month. Can I have this for Christmas? Think Santa will do it? I used to think that, when I, this is true, when I was younger, I used to not tell my parents what I wanted for Christmas. I would tell Santa. And I figured, if Santa was the one bringing it, and not my parents, then he knew, and nobody else needed to know. You ever think like that? Mm-hmm. It's a secret between me and Santa. And he knows if I've been bad or good. If he doesn't bring it, I wasn't good enough. And I didn't, my parents said, What'd you tell Santa you wanted? I knew why they were asking. But I said, That's between me and Santa. And so my parents found ways to manipulate the system. <laughs> hey, and one of my sisters, hey, go ask uh, your brother what he asked for Christmas from Santa. And, and, but tell him what you said first. And so we'd share, and that's how my parents would get the information. And uh, I didn't catch that for years. Um, but the thing that happens, though, is we make a list. And, and if God doesn't do that list, we say, well, there's exclusions to all things. I'm reading this verse It says, Will He not with, all, with Him also freely give us all things? And we talk about the things that we want and the lists that we have that we bring to God as a, as a divine uh, ATM, if you will, or God, I asked for you, got to do it or you're not good list. But there is no exclusion in all things, but God chooses the gift. Hear me. God chooses what He gives you, not you. God is the giver. He's the one who blesses. He's not up there being manipulated and told what to do. He knows what you need. He knows how to do these things. He's been doing it a lot longer than we have. He knows the future. He knows what our lives need. He chooses the gift, not you. And that gift is love. Embodied in Jesus Christ first. And sometimes when we're thinking about God's generosity, we say, I'm not worthy of it. No, you're not. That's correct. And if you thought you were, then you missed out on what grace is all about. You're not worthy. And it's not based on your worth. God's Gift to you is not based on whether you earn it or whether you're worth it. It's not about you and your worth. It's about God's love. That He loves you regardless of how you think or feel about yourself. And He provides what you need regardless of whether or not you accept it or think you need or don't need it. It's not based on you or how you feel about you. It's not about you at all. That's prideful thinking at play. That's what we call darkness thinking. Well, we start with us and we end with us. Well, God didn't do it so God doesn't love me. Who's that to start with and end with? Me. What I want and God didn't do it so it's all about me. But if we say God has blessed us in high places in Jesus Christ, where we're seated at the right hand of God in the Him, as Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, then God has done what He's done regardless of how we think about it or how we see ourselves. That is light thinking. God has provided a way for all things to be added unto you. Seek ye first, says Matthew, Also Luke, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added. All these things that you worry about will be added unto you. We're so busy seeking the gift that we forget to seek His kingdom and His righteousness in our life so that we become vessels that God can't bless because we're not willing to receive the gift He's giving. Unless we feel worthy or entitled. And then we think, well, I'm sure that He's not going to include me. So no wonder we walk around with lives that aren't empowered. We think God's blessings aren't for us because He's not giving us the one we're asking for. Which one is He given that we haven't received? That's the question we ask. But if you believe God's gift is general and not specific to your situation, you're going to exclude yourself or others from it. And you'll lay in judgment on others and say God's not blessing them because they're not in church. And that's what we'll say. Or God's not blessing them, they had to clean up their life, you know, maybe God could do something with them. Boy, if they just cared about themselves more and treated themselves better, you know, maybe. Maybe God would do something for their life. But right now, no. And I'm not going to help them either because they don't care, so why should I? We have these conversations within ourselves and we sound just as unpious as we think we are pious. Pious meaning godly. It sounds holy thinking. It God blesses those that bless themselves and help themselves. That's not scriptural. Scripture says God helps those who can't, who are broken, and recognize their need before Him. How many of us today can recognize that we need Jesus Christ? Can you recognize that? Do you know that without Him, your life is for nothing? Amen. We don't often want to hear that or think that, and then when we come and say, God has blessed us in Jesus Christ, but I'm not worthy. And God's saying, yeah, of course you're not, but here it is. Do something with it. Take the gift and run. Don't contemplate whether or not you get it. Hmm. But this chapter and this passage has a little bit more than just darkness and light thinking. There's a passage in here that we so often put it out of context that it, it, it almost drives me crazy when I hear people using it that way. And maybe you too. Uh, and maybe you're it in the wrong context. But verse 37, we've said this a lot. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And in all these things then, we begin to connect that with Philippians where it says, I can do all things through Christ. You know what I mean? It's like, alright, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm a victor in Jesus. I can do this thing, even if God hasn't told me to. And I'm going to go take it on. I'm more than a conqueror. And we don't get success. We seem to run into dead ends and brick walls. And we go, God, why is this happening here? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you, God? You said I'm more than conqueror. Your word's not true. And it's I'm not conquering this thing. The enemy keeps beating me. It is not talking about every situation in your life you will have victory because you so chose to attack it. What does it say then? It says, what's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Famine? Persecution? Distress? Nakedness? Peril? Sword? Is any of that going to stop Jesus from loving you? Is there anything of that going to stop him from being your Lord and your King? Anything in there that you see that disqualifies his Lordship in your life? No. Yet, here's what it says In those things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Conquerors over what? Well, it tells us. But what we don't understand what we're conquerors over is because we see this verse out of context rather than a context of how Paul understands what he's saying, and how he understands what Jesus Christ is trying to teach us. And this morning, I want to share with you how this looks. Because a conqueror is someone who's victorious. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he begins to talk about it. At the end of the chapter, it talks about our final victory. He says, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, he goes down in verse 54 this, in, this corruptible, uh, 53, excuse me, must put on incorruption. Our bad fleshly body must become a new creation, a new spiritual being. And this mortal flesh must put on immortality. So we are eternal. When this corruptible body has put on the incorruptible body, and this mortality of flesh is put on the immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. In victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, or O hell, where is your victory? The sting of death, this is where we get some conquering, the sting of death in our life is sin. Because if you die and you have sin, you're cursed and set apart from God. And the strength of sin, which gives it its power, is the law. Which means we violated God's holy law, and therefore we are condemnable. But, verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory over the law of sin and death. We are more than conquerors over the law of sin and death that says we don't have a part with God. We do have a part. We are more than conquerors over the law and the laws of sin and the laws of death that say we're no longer part with God when we die. This is what we're more than conquerors in. Why? Because nothing can separate us from the love of God, including death and sin. He took sin out of the way with Jesus Christ. And the sin was the power of the death, so He took death out of the way. We are more than conquerors, and nothing can take that away. Nothing can stop what Jesus has done. Do you understand why that's powerful? Because now we have a victory that we did not fight. That God says, I'm giving you this Through my son, and all the things that come with it. The victory over sin and death. That comes with it. That's part of the all things. That's the conquering he's talking about. Oh, but Paul, 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 are you sure that you know what you're talking about? Because, you know, I still feel some condemnation. When I mess up, I feel guilty. I don't feel worthy still. And yet all this stuff. What is all things? Mm -hmm. Then he says all things, he'll give us with his son. In James, it talks about every good and perfect gift comes from our Father of lights in heaven, with whom there is no shadow of turning. Mm -hmm. Shadow of turning is a kind of a Complex way of saying He's not going to change the way He is toward you. There's no even shadow turning His face away from you. And what that means is God is looking at you and He looks at you, get this, because He can. Amen. In the Old Testament, you could not look upon the face of God and God can look, could not look upon your face because of sin. When that's out of the way, James says, there is no shadow of turning. That means God is looking at you. You are able to look at Him and you are safe in His presence without fear of death. You can come boldly to the throne and find grace and hope and help in time of need, says Hebrews chapter 4. Now, I say this to you because we sometimes forget what all this is all about. But God is trying to tell you and me this week, that He is looking at you and saying, I love you, I am here for you, receive my Son, enter into the relationship, and let's see what happens next. It's not based on whether you believe you belong there, feel like you should or shouldn't, or whether or not you got what you want. It's based on the fact that God is looking at you as holy and righteous and says, you're welcome here. It has nothing to do with the status of anything you've done. It has to do with the status of what His Son has done. It's just why you can stand in His presence today. This is light thinking, not darkness. I am in God's presence, so you can say, I am in God's presence gazing at His glory. He's gazing at me with perfect acceptance and love. And I belong here. Amen. I matter here. I make a difference and He's shining through me because He loves me and this will never change because there's nothing that can take that away. I'm more than conquerors over everything that's going to say it. But, here comes that condemnation. Mm-hmm. And That's why Paul says in verse 34, Who is he that condemns? Who is it that condemns? Let me tell you. Let me tell you who condemns. Or so, in darkness thinking. I love this. This is the best thing I learned this week. And I'm excited about this. I hope you are too. Darkness thinking says, well, Satan condemns. And and my actions condemn. And other people's actions condemn. And words condemn. And this condemns. And that condemns. And that's darkness thinking. Here's what Paul says. Who is he that condemns? It is Jesus Christ who condemns you. Mm -hmm. Let me say that again. He's the only one who's got the authority. He's the only one that's got authority to condemn you and it's sick. But in verse 1, he starts this whole chapter with, There is therefore now no, no condemnation to those in Jesus Christ who walk by the Spirit, not according to the flesh. No condemnation from Jesus Christ. And he's the only one that can make it sick. And the rest of this verse we're looking at, 34, says that he's at the right hand of God making intercession on your behalf. Why? Because the devil's accusing you and he's going, I got that covered. Here comes your thoughts. I'm not worthy. Jesus says, I covered that. Here comes to someone else saying, you're no good. You don't belong in the kingdom. Jesus is saying, I've got that. Father, don't listen to any of these people or the Satan. I'm the one, the only one who's got authority and I've got them covered by my blood. I did it. I got it done. I got it taken care of. I love that. There is no condemnation when you belong to Jesus Christ. There is none. So what you feel is not condemnation. It is shame. It is guilt. It is anything but condemnation. It is self-manufactured, others manufactured, and it's not from God. There is no condemnation on your life. None. Anything you add to it is dark thinking. And we've got to eradicate it out of our experiences until we've come fully, boldly, and say, I'm here because God says I can be, and I've got no recourse but to trust His Word. That's all i got. The one who is on my side is the only one who has the ability to condemn me that matters. And He chose not to. All those voices in your life that you listen to that tell you you're not good enough or not worthy of God or anything else, they're not from God. Mm -hmm. And they're definitely, definitely not from the kingdom of God. And they're definitely, definitely not scriptural. Mm Mm-hmm. Now I will say the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin, but that's not condemnation. Mm-hmm. Conviction's a whole different animal, and that's a good one to have. Otherwise, we're going to act crazy. But condemnation says I'm bad. Conviction says I'm doing things that are not right. Hear the difference. And here's what he says again if he did not spare his own son, he delivered him up for us. Won't He give us everything else we need? But we keep getting it backwards, and I don't want you to miss this. Nothing else comes without Jesus. Some people get it backwards. God, if you'll just do this and this, I'll believe, and I'll love you, and I'll follow your Son, and I'll accept Him. If you'll do this, this, and this. He says, well, no. The gift I'm giving you is my Son. If you don't want Him, why would you want anything else i got for you? This is the best I've got. Amen. If you don't get my son, you don't get anything else. You ever heard the story about the art auction? <laughs> great, great collector of art passed away. I love this story. It fits so perfectly this morning. And they decided to have an auction of all the fine pieces, Degas, Picasso, Rembrandt, Da Vinci, millions and billions of dollars of art this man who was wealthy collected over his years. And he had a son. Son wasn't well-functioning, but he liked to draw because his father liked art. And he would draw paintings and his father kept them all. And his father had a favorite one that he used to keep in his living room because it reminded him of his son that he loved so much. And so they began the art auction and had all these prominent paintings and all these people with museums and curators and all these folks with lots and lots of money to spend that day ready to bid. They had checked the prices of each piece and what they wanted to bid and done all the preliminary work. And the auctioneer opened up the bidding and on the first thing was not a Da Vinci. Obviously, you save the best for last, right? Mm -hmm. Don't want to start with the best and nobody wanted to bid on anything else. So the first thing that's on there is the picture that's been hanging in his living room that his son drew. Mm -hmm. Nothing fancy about it. Nothing that an art collector or museum would ever want to prominently display. But this man loved that painting. Because he loved his boy. And he wanted it to go first. And so he puts it up there. And and the bidding auctioneer says, this is one of his most prized paintings. His son painted it. Open value market on this is $5,000. Do I hear $5,000? And no one... Bid 5000 He said, let me tell you the story of this. This man thinks this is the best of all the paintings and there's snickering going on and laughter. And finally, one man who had just come to watch said, I'll, I'll bid 5000 for that painting. And the other said, well, let him have it and we'll finish the auction. With that, And, and the man says, thank you. And he, he's the winning bidder. Sold to the man here. It's all the money the man had, actually. All the money he could use to spend on a priceless piece of art. The auctioneer slammed the gavel down and said, So, the auction is over. And they're all looking around, but what about the other priceless pieces? It says here, Whoever loves what his son did, And bids on it, gets it all. Mm -hmm. But if you don't want what the sun represents, you don't get any of it. They wanted the value of the art, not the value of the artist. Mm -hmm. Not the owner of the art, but the art itself. Our thinking is based in darkness when we look at things physically and materially, but that stuff's going away. He brought us to the light of His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me give you a real simple illustration to wrap this up. The Apostle Paul, before he was Paul, was Saul. He was, according to the law, faultless, without sin. But according to history we know and he even said he persecuted and even rounded up Christians to kill them and approved of the stoning of Stephen Mm -hmm. was standing there watching with joy when he was on the road to Damascus getting ready to round up the priests or not the priests but the believers there to bring him back for a fair trial followed by a murder um, a light shone from heaven a bright light Paul was running from the light. But the light of God found him like a spotlight. Like a lighthouse light sweeping and landing right on Saul and saying, I see you. I am God and you're my child even though you've been killing my kids. You're one of them. And you just don't know it yet. And his light landed on Paul and it blinded him. Mm-hmm. And he said, you've been persecuting me. And he said, who are you? He said, I am Jesus. And Paul immediately falls and said, I had no idea who you were. Mm-hmm. It is the light that shines in the darkness that the darkness can't comprehend, it can't overcome it, it can't defeat it, it can't wipe it out. It changes a man who's murdering Christians into one who is one and finding ways to make more of them. If he did not spare his son but gave him for Saul to become Paul, why would he not also do that for you? He came to bring us light, to make us light. Not because we are. He transforms us to be light. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to throw up reasons why... uh, we don't deserve or I don't deserve or this shouldn't happen because it just sounds too amazing. And Heavenly Father, all you ever said was, my son, and I have given him to you and you receive him, all things are new. My son, my precious child, don't you understand? All things are new, including you. And all the things that you've believed for so long that are just not true. And all the voices you've listened to have lied to you. And now those voices can fade for the truth. Because those voices are new. They're voices of love. Of encouragement. Of strength. That you do have a light within you. You are the light of the world. No matter what you've been led to believe by whatever is still true. Would you receive that and let that happen to you? Amen.